Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today's guest is John Tate, the global MD or managing director of the payments market at TNS. So they are a entrenched, powerful payment network, payment company. Been around for 30 years. Uh, John has been in payments for over 20 years. So he is a rare veteran that I talk to where he understands the history of the payment landscape and all the ins and outs. He's been to all the conferences. He knows all the people, all the companies. And so he talks about what people don't appreciate about the current payments infrastructure, where things are going, what TNS and his business is trying to accomplish in the world, and the integration and role of crypto uh, in the revolution of payments. So really fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Here is John Tate. All right, John, we're live recording. Uh, I'm excited to chat with you. You're uh, working on a business uh, a business model and a business size that I usually don't get a chance to talk to folks in. Um, I understand that uh, there's different branches of TNS. You're focused on the payments market business. There, the, the overall company is a, over a thousand employees, fairly large organization at this point. How do you sort of describe the architecture of the business? Like what, where the business, what industries it touches and what are the most, how do you sort of map it out for someone just trying to get a sense for the organization? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mike. And first of all, thanks for having me. Um, the, business, the business itself started uh, just over 30 years ago. Um, and, uh, I, I know that, uh, from a startup perspective, the founder of the business, um, was solving a use case that was centered around payments. And what was happening at the, at the foundation of the business was that, um, point of sale terminals back in the early nineties were largely communicating with banks and processes, um, over PSTN or dial co- connectivity. And what was happening was that, um, was that the, uh, payment terminal and the banks were processing transactions, but they were getting lost along the c- c- connectivity line. And as a result of that, our founder, um, the use case that he was solving for was putting some, building some software and some technology that monitored um, the movement of the payment transaction from the device to the bank or the processor and then back again to make sure that the, uh, the transaction was processed. And that's where our business was founded. And, and, and for, to this day, is how the mission-critical nature of what we do uh, has sort of grown up to where we are today, to the business that is architected uh, in, in essentially three businesses um, or three divisions. We have, first of all, a, uh, a, a communications market division, 
that largely operates out of North America uh, today only and supports uh, really two types of things. Uh, it's a wholesale telecommunications company, and it also does a lot of work in caller identification and uh, preventing robocalling uh, in North America. So that's sort of division number one. Uh, division number two for us is a, is a business that was founded in the ecosystem of financial markets. So we connect uh, stock exchanges, buy and sell equity brokers, foreign exchange uh, providers all around the world. So if you think about it really simply, um, you know, all of the stock exchanges around the world need to connect with each other. And there's a central network that sits in the middle of those, those stock exchanges to move transactions. And that's what TNS does. That's one of the roles that TNS fills in that, uh, in that ecosystem. And then lastly, uh, the division that, uh, that I work in is the payments market division. And, uh, and for, for us, um, we, uh, we've sort of built on that foundation of the payment terminal, um, you know, and, and connecting from the point of sale through to the uh, bank and back again uh, to a business that today operates in 60 markets around the world. And what we do at its most simplest level, we enable uh, our, uh, our partners to accept the payment um, where they can take a payment from any type of device, website, digital app, etc. Um, they then can connect a, uh, a payment um, to uh, a bank or a processor or, a, or an ATM deployer or whoever it may be, and then we process the transaction. So we're running infrastructure as a service. We're an infrastructure as a service business, and we accept, connect, and process payments uh, for all sides of organizations, from s startups looking to get into the ecosystem of payments and don't want to necessarily run the entire um, value chain that's required to be in that space, right through to large multinationals that operate in many markets around the world where, where we're supporting their business. So it's been a great journey for the company. You know, we've, uh, we've done a lot and we've learned a lot over the years. We've gone through public uh, ownership to private ownership, and we've had many, many different uh, sort of profiles as an organisation over the 30 years. And we sit here today as an organisation that uh, is really part of the fabric of the industries in which we operate. Hmm. And what about you personally? Are you, did you come from an area where you had a unique insight into how the payments network was structured? And how, how do you sort of view like your expertise prior to joining? Well, that, I'd say it was by good luck, Mike, not good management. Um, so when I was, uh, when I was young and at school, I, I must admit much, much to my parents' distress. I wasn't the most studious, uh, kid and, uh, I didn't really enjoy the journey of, uh, of education all the time. Um, so as soon as I could get out of school, I got out of school. And, um, and as soon as I left school, I, uh, I, jo I joined the work workforce and, uh, and part-time did some secondary education uh, and found that I hated the secondary, secondary education. Um, so I jumped out of that as quickly as possible and, and took a full-time job in Sydney, in Australia, uh, working with, uh, with an organisation called the National Australia Bank. And uh, I was lucky there um, through my journey. I, um, I got to move into, I started in, in payments. I was actually working in check clearing and, uh, and settlement of checks and those sort of things. And uh, I moved quickly into electronic payments. And that's really where I started to learn my trade. Um, so initially, I was a, uh, a, an apprentice, so to speak, learning my trade on, uh, through the job uh, in payments. And I worked there for a number of years. And, uh, and then I joined uh, an organization called First Data. Uh, and, uh, and they were a big payments organization uh, as a standalone entity back then. And I spent 15 years working there 
And uh, and two things that uh, were fairly significant uh, for me through that journey was, first of all, I continued to learn and do my apprenticeship uh, and uh, and learn more about the industry and the way in which the mechanics of it work. And secondly, um, the managing director of the business, uh, who became a very significant influence and mentor for me over many years, he made me promise uh, when I joined the business that I'd do a uh, I'd do a uh, a degree. Um, so I, I I took my apprenticeship and uh, and went and became a um, did an MBA, did a master's degree in business administration, and uh, and through that journey of first data, uh, starting at National Australia Bank, I sort of became more and more um, deeply ingrained in the world of these payments um, to uh, to the role that I'm in today. So. I can't say that when I was going to kindergarten, Mike, I was waking up every day saying they wanted to be in payments. Uh, it wasn't sort of the, the childhood dream. It was it was definitely more by good luck than uh, the good management. But uh, as I reflect on it now, after twenty odd years doing it, it's been a great journey for me. And what are the what are the most influential trends happening now when you think about uh, payments? You're not thinking about crypto particularly, and not to seed you, but. Uh, if you think about payments as the broad landscape, uh, is, is crypto a significant influence in your world? And and if not, what what are the most influential trends happening today? Yeah, t- t- today for us, crypto is not uh, a huge influence to us for the primary reason that we move largely regulated currencies, uh, and we also move we do a lot of stuff in retail payments. So. For for us, crypto is certainly on the horizon, but it's not intimately involved in how we operate today. There's sort of three, the, the, the big three or four big trends that influence where we play and operate in payments. Um, certainly, start with software. Uh, we're seeing a lot of disruption in the space of software, and what software is doing is it's changing the user experience for the facilitation of payments. So you know, if you sort of go back, you know, ten plus years ago. You didn't think about ordering food and paying for food through an Uber app or uh, buying your music 15 years ago through an Apple iPhone. And and what sort of that software experience has done is it's made you think secondary about the payments experience. It's very much integrated into what's happening uh, today is that payments is becoming part of software. Software is becoming part of payments. So the user experience around the integration of software and customer experiences is one big trend that we see. And that's certainly continuing to evolve, and uh, and we're seeing a lot of lot, lot of organisations sort of that were traditionally SaaS players becoming more involved in the payment space. Um, the second thing that we're seeing uh, is emerging, and certainly going to continue to uh, to shift the way in which we think about the business is the shift and the transition to five G. Um, you know, the world is moving quickly to five um, uh, G. We've been through a fairly strong digital explosion over the last 10 years in payments. That got accelerated somewhat through the pandemic, uh, and we continue to see the evolution of the shift to digital on the back of 5G and more connectivity being available in the world, uh, being a continued um, influence on where we land and how we think about things uh, going forward. The third thing is that the combination of software or information in software and data in 5G, we see that more and more data analytics will be a key part of what happens in payments going forward and, and being able to improve user experiences, preemptive buying, you know, repeat buying, those are the things that come from understanding more about the consumer and what they're actually doing uh, will, be a, will, will be a key 
thing for us, a uh, key thing for the industry. And finally, like everything in, in industries that involves money, um, security, compliance, making sure that we're protecting people's data, the information that we carry is quite sensitive, and making sure that we maintain the integrity of the payments industry at a global level is a critical part of what we do. That trust element that we have is critical for all of us. We as consumers don't necessarily think about it every day, but uh, at CNS as an organisation, the compliance and security aspects that we bring to everything that we do are very much forefront of, uh, of the innovation and the agenda that we run to support the partners and the customers that we have. In the last 10 years, over $100 billion worth of crypto has been lost or stolen, specifically because of poor key management scams and hackers. Forget not your keys, not your crypto. Software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability, that a single private key can be lost, hacked, or simply just misplaced. My new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You have to check out Zengo, an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which is just until now only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, is the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then... Um... When you think about the the broad industry, not so much your company, but you think about uh, software, particularly like mobile software, uh, mobile application software, you give the example Uber Eats, data analytics. Um, are there other areas that are low-hanging fruit or like, do you think about, for instance, I was reading earlier about the Amazon Palm uh, uh, scanning device that they just rolled out across all the Whole Foods is. Uh, do you think of, of bioinformatics, or I guess that's a uh, uh, bio detection? I forget the term is bio detection of your either your retinas, your eye, or fingerprints. Is that becoming a behind the scenes? Is 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 the goal there to make it both easier and then reduce chargebacks or reduce fraud, which ultimately is chargebacks? Is that um something that's being talked about or rolled out? Or is it more on the like tech savvy merchants like Amazon who can build their own system? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, that that sort of technology is certainly on the horizon. Um, but if I brought it back to be a little bit more grounded in where we are today, um, there's probably it's probably um, eight key trends that are influencing the um, enterprise strategies and, and low hanging fruit to your question. Uh, as to uh, what's influencing people here today. So I think that the, the sort of here and now is that, first of all, we, we, we're seeing changes in the point-of-sale environment. Um, and, 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 and in particular, we're seeing that payment terminals may slowly dematerialize themselves um, as we're seeing more API-led based cloud software solutions coming in to accept the payment. So that software conversion that we talked about before is certainly changing the point of sale environment. Um, the second thing, and this really came out of the United States, um, 
is that we've seen more adoption of um, robust business management solutions. And uh, and what's happening there is that the adoption of POS solutions or point-of-sale solutions that are much broader than uh, just accepting a card payment has led the shift to being um, an evolution that's, that's moving merchants and retailers to look at um, services that are more bundled, more robust, easier to use in their entire business environment. It's that software play again, and then payments are sort of hanging off the back of that. So we're seeing that more and more. Uh, the other thing that we're seeing a lot of, and, you know, it depends on who you talk to, depends on what, what uh, sort of buzzword is used, but the growing need of omni-channel or unified commerce, which really did accelerate through the pandemic, which has driven the need for us to be able to support and businesses to be able to support all aspects of a retail and a consumer's buying experience as they look for that single experience, whether they're buying through a digital app, whether they're buying in store, whether they're buying online and the e-commerce site, all of those experiences need to look sort of interlock and come together to promote the user experience, but also the loyalty and the repeatability for the consumer to be able to manage. So that's sort of a, a key thing that we see. We also see the types of payments that the consumers are looking to, to pay with changing quite significantly. So you talked about the Amazon experience with uh, biomechanics and biometrics. That's sort of one thing, but but there's also multiple payment methods that people are using, um, and alternative payment methods have bo- boomed over the last few years, with many many of the local payment methods expanding, and the alternative payments coming in and, and and taking a different position. Whether it's an Apple Pay, a Google Pay, you know, Samsung Pay, there's a whole bunch of sort of as- aspects of payments that are changing, and there's the global providers in the names that I just mentioned, but there's also the in-country local regional players that are also making their presence known. For example, uh, a, a WeChat in China that's using um, QR codes to make payments, those sort of things are sort of evolving across the globe as you start to look at that more more, more deeply. I touched on 5G before. 5G is going to change the payments uh, world in particular and cloud computing, and that's going to drive more digital. And, and to, to, to the point on security that you make, um, we're certainly going to see a lot more tokenization of payments where tokens are emerging to expand and augment the value of payments. Um, and then lastly, we think that there's a, a, a strong shift for payment orchestration, which is really an increase in the complexity in payments has driven an, a need for orchestration to emerge as a model to streamline connectivity, data and transaction management for all of the participants that play within an ecosystem. And today, a lot of those interfaces and that integration is very clunky, very bespoke, but the evolution and the emergence of orchestration, we think, will bring a lot of these trends together to enable things to, uh, payments to be more, more integrated, uh, from the point of acceptance through to the point of settlement and the reconciliation processes, the chargeback management, the uh, voucher request activities, all the things that sit within the middle of that. We think that there's a key role for orchestration to start to simplify that and bring it together. So it's a long-winded answer, but from from a trends perspective, they're sort of the things that we're seeing influence the marketplace here and now. Hmm, interesting. And why does five G play a large role? That's a that's a good question. So five G, I guess the, the first thing is that the shift to mobility has clearly influenced um, and shaped the underlying for- forces that drive digital payments. So mobility has been a key um, factor in that. 
And what we've seen is we've seen a shift from desktop to the consumer pockets uh, and, and people are now doing more things. And I touched on before is that, you know, just a small example is is the shift for consumers where mobile payments have become the default setting for ride hailing, food delivery, music downloads, and other digital experiences. So 5G, we think, is similarly poised to change the business and technology of payments because of the greater levels of connectivity and, most importantly, real-time access to online services. Um, it's going to change the, the way we think as consumers about the distinctions between what's a digi digital and a physical world and how those interactions and connectivity needs expand um, is really going to be believed, we believe is going to be um, really expanded through the experience that is before the transaction and after the transaction, not necessarily just in the transaction itself. So if you think about that sort of more in the digital world, you've got more options to look under a 5G in a, a, at more connected devices at the pre-experience to actually buying. So you're going to have higher speed always on always on connections that, that will enable consumers to have more choices, whether it's a connected car that's driving into a parking lot that wants to pay for its parking and the boom gate goes up uh, and giving giving the driver in the car an option to go from one car park to the next based on price to uh, personalised content that's at their fingertips as consumers look to make their, their choices, we think that that 5G experience and that pace of connectivity is going to enable more choices before the interaction, uh, which then will drive greater payments. And then the after-payment um, uh, experience, we think, will drive more loyalty outcomes as rewards and those things become more personalised and tailored back to a consumer. So I don't know if that sort of resonates for you, but we, we certainly see 5G driving a lot more of that uh, connectivity and, uh, and the growth and acceptance uh, for the consumer. Uh, will drive uh, will drive some of the shift in which we think about. And on a scale of uh, one being very marginal slash, you barely even notice it. The consumer barely notices it. To ten being a significant, huge, innovative, drastic change. How big is five G? Is it like a like a three or like a nine or somewhere in between? I th I think it's well above five. Um, and let me sort of let me sort of get. Uh, articulate why. Um, I think um, the first thing is that a predictable outcome of 5G is going to be the number of devices and objects that are fitted with connected sensors. So we're going to have more connectivity um, that, that, that is out in the marketplace. Uh, and those sensors will provide more information about users, environmental conditions in which they sit, and essentially what we're going to see through 5G is a web of virtual nerve endings uh, for cloud and edge-based solutions that can really allow a consumer to inform, enhance, and initiate a payment experience. That doesn't exist today in the way in which it will under a 5G environment. So I think we're going to see a lot more um, connected consumers, a lot more connected devices, and as a result of that, you're going to have a lot more opportunity for acceptance points, acceptance of payments to be in place for a consumer. And what we've seen over the last five years is that that, that has accelerated in the 4G world uh, as we move to a more connected um, world that probably has greater permissions uh, for consumers to be able to actually make choices. Uh, we think that it's going to explode more. So I think it's well above a five. 
Mm. Uh, I don't think it's a 10, but I think it's probably around the 7 to 8 um, because of the growth in those devices and locations that are out there. Interesting. Um, I have a note here. Uh, I'm curious to ask you about the ho- this ho- concept of a holy trinity of the payments infrastructure. Uh, are there people, people that are working within larger companies, is there a certain way they should think about payments that you would articulate using this holy trinity structure? Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does. We, we spend a lot of time on it. Um, and the holy trinity for us is sort of, as I introduced the company at the outset, it's accepting a payment, it's connecting a payment, and it's orchestrating a payment. So for us, that, that's sort of the way in which we think about it um, from an infrastructure as a service provider standpoint. And what's driving the holy trinity is the complexity that's, uh, that's changing in the payments book. You know, chain, you, you know, if you sort of break it down and you think through the elements, you know, the three stools of the, ho- the, the sorry, the three legs of the holy trinity, uh, and you sort of start with acceptance. What, what, what's changing on acceptance is that the, 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 the world is becoming extremely more complicated for a retailer and for a merchant to take a payment. Uh, you know, first of all, we see those changes in the, in the POS environment that I talked about previously, um, where we're seeing, you know, um, terminals move from a traditional base to a soft terminal to an IFO terminal, whatever it may be, we're seeing changes in the environment. We're seeing the adoption of POS solutions based in the cloud. We're seeing more integrated solutions through API integrations. We're seeing consumers wanting a consistent experience when they go shopping in retail. So the omni-channel solutions need to permeate across all aspects of a retail experience. And lastly, we're seeing some of those shifts in tokenization and security. So if you sort of think about um, how that comes together, the, the, the complexity in acceptance really comes around taking payments at inline, online and in-app, in-store payments, unattended payments, and platform uh, platform payments. So running all of that infrastructure uh, in isolation is a, is a real challenge and struggle for a lot of people to be able to manage. So the first thing that we see around acceptance is the complexity the second thing that we sort of see around uh, connectivity is that we're, cha- we're, 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 we're dealing with complications in connectivity now that we probably didn't deal with 20, 30 years ago. You know, we're, we're looking more and more now at latency and the speed of connectivity and, and how you can handle latency and volume at the same point across different means of communication, whether it's a SIM, whether it's an SD-WAN solution out of a retailer, whether it's a, a point-to-point connection, whether it's a VPN connection, whatever it may be, complications around latency and scale are certainly important things to manage in connectivity. We see security as a huge aspect around connectivity and payments acceptance. We see the need to monitor and alarm transactions and payments. You know, Consumers now, pre-pandemic or through the pandemic, the, the, the redundancy for an electronic card transaction failing was cash. Um, and, and the DR plan for, for a lot of consumers was that most of them would typically carry an, an element of cash in their wallets. That DR for plan has gone now. Less and less consumers now across the globe are carrying cash in their wallets. So monitoring and alarming and being able to make sure that that system and environment is always working is a key thing for, for retailers and merchants and businesses to be able to keep up with. Then the complexity and operational support telecommunications supplier management, and obviously cost management, as you think about moving to the 5G networks, the expansion of cloud computing, and the need to be able to sort of 
protect that data have become more of those complications. So what, what we've seen is that complications and, and, and innovation has driven the need for acceptance to improve and keep pace with the change of the consumer. The underlying connectivity is changing to keep pace with scale and with latency and with cost management as well as operational support. And lastly, we need the, we, we see the need for orchestration and processing to be the, the, the new and emerging response to the ever increasing number of complexities that we see in payments. Um, whether it's integrating to an organization's backend systems or ERP systems, whether it's integrating to a, uh, an alternative payment method or a loyalty platform, or whether it's doing something at the back end to manage risk, fraud prevention and chargeback management, there's a lot more integrations that come out of the, the requirements of accepting payments these days. So as we sort of step back and look at the holy trinity, for us it's about how do we simplify the infrastructure to enable a merchant to accept whatever type of payment through any channel that a merchant wants, that the consumer wants to make? Then how do we make sure that we connect that payment at the device, at the edge, and then back to a cloud to make that, to, to make that uh, ecosystem safe and secure from the acceptance point to the connect point? And then we need to process that transaction. And processing that transaction can be everything from simply sending it out for authorization to least cost routing to manage cost reductions for a retailer or a merchant to data encryption and tokenization and vaulting services and providing a unified customer and operational support layer that makes that integration simple in the way that I've just described. So that, that they're the sort of ways in which we think about the holy trinity across accept, connect and orchestrate. And then lastly, as a managed service provider, we sort of wrap that up as a service. Um, so delivering that as a service where we take responsibility for the support services, for the management information that needs to be presented back, for the redundancy and the failover and the security and the fulfillment services that we bring, we sort of bring the, the outer layers of that to, to be PCI DSS compliant, safe and secure, wrapped up as a service so the holy trinity becomes something that our customers consume based on the components that they need support with in their business strategies. What are your thoughts? You mentioned tokenization. I'm not sure if that is a reference to crypto, but I, I want to ask you about the influence that crypto has. It certainly seems like at some point these these software systems, which are run on banks and and uh, incumbent payment companies, are like you know 50 years old or 40, 30 years old. They're on old technology that people don't even learn anymore. Uh, the, and the cost and, and pr- practical nature of changing that is so daunting that these companies just don't do it, which is, I think, a good business decision. But it also creates uh, pressure to innovate and change. And crypto has a structural advantage over the incumbent methodology. And I'm curious how you see uh, this transition happening, like from old school payments to uh, new decentralized payment networks and tokenization. My sense is that it happens on the fringe initially, is that there's like peer-to-peer transactions happening. These networks are being built out and then companies are established utilizing this technology to sell into existing organizations. And that just kind of eventually that's the competitive edge that 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 like sheds the old version and then integrates the new version of crypto does that resonate with you or do you see are you seeing crypto integration happen differently or how do you sort of see that evolutionary process 
I completely agree with you. So I think that there's I think there's two major things, Mike, from my perspective that I'm seeing that are, that are emerging with crypto. Number one is that quite successfully the, the the crypto ecosystem, for want of a better term, has influenced quite aggressively from the edge or from the fringe, to use your word, and and use cases, digital currencies, you know, the the the, the ability to solve complicated problems in a, in a much simpler way. Has been been done really well from the disruptive element of that of that ecosystem, and from my perspective, I hope that continues to happen because I think that continues to put pressure on the marketplace. It continues to put pressure on the um, incumbents, the legacy providers, those sort of organisations that you reference, and I think that's a positive thing. And it creates opportunity for change. It creates competition, but it also creates innovation from a consumer standpoint. So more and more, I think that got, that has to continue to happen. So that's sort of element number one, and I, I, and I completely agree with you. The second thing that I think is interesting and it's starting to happen in some markets around the world is that we're seeing central banks embrace crypto and digital in particular. And there's a number of trials that are happening and are, and are underway from discussion payments, uh, sorry, discussion papers from a number of the central banks around the world that are starting to look more uh, uh, closely at uh, what crypto and digital could do and, uh, and in particular on the digital side, how they could reshape the way in which payments happen. Um, I think the question that still exists for me is what, 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 where we best find the use cases and the marketplaces for crypto to work and to operate. And I think that's still evolving. But I think if you go back to sort of tier one, which is the disruptive edge, that's going to find its natural home. And then that will become more of the, the, uh, the way forward. And it's like a lot of things that we've seen in the industry that we've talked about with rideshare and those sort of things. I think ultimately that influence is going to continue to push its way in to become more of the mainstream. So my, my, my view is that it's going to come from a, a lot of push from, from outside in to the traditional, but also I think I'm starting to see around digital some shift within the, uh, the regulators in particular to start looking more at how they can bring some of this stuff together. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And what's their motivation? Is the regulator certainly, if you, I would imagine they're multifaceted in their motivation, but the skeptical side of me is cautious about their motivation to control uh, everyone's accounts to have total visibility, like an Orwellian uh, dystopian perspective that the central bank issued currency. They know every, where every dollar is at every moment in everyone's account. They could see all your transaction history, you know, total visibility. And in some level, cash is beautiful because it is absolutely anonymous. And the fact that it's not on a computer gives it that guarantee of an, an, an anonymity, uh, being anonymous. <laughs> uh, so how, how do you think of the motivations and maybe the implications of those motivations are the way that this actually plays out. You know, I, I think there's a real difference between what, especially government, sometimes companies, especially as companies get, get large, they start to say things that they don't actually carry out, but governments are notorious for this. 
And I think everyone is, you know, aware of that, uh, you know, speak, right? It's like, oh, we want to make a really secure network. But in reality, we have total control over this. And so there's a a strange sort of situation that happens. Do you think that there's, how, how do you sort of get a sense for the temperature of governments and their desire to move forward in these tokenized, uh, centralized exchange uh, currencies? Yeah, I, the optimist in me, so Mike, stay stay positive with me. Um, I won't go down the conspiracy. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. <laughs> um, but the optimist in me is twofold. Uh, number one is that I think the, well, my, my personal view is that the, the innovation will take a lot of complexity and um, cost and bureaucracy out of the system today. So the optimist is me, is me, in me is that the technology evolution is going to simplify the ability for us to exchange value as users of the system, whether we're businesses or consumers or whatever it may be. And I think, I think the central banks are starting to see that. And I think, uh, and the second thing, uh, for the, the second opti- uh, optimistic view for me is that um, uh, the ultimate, the ultimate reward for this is that the consumer and the business gets value and money sooner and safer. And I think the second element for their being involved is to make it safer. So they're going to want to have some level of regulation and protection um, uh, around digital to protect the consumer. Uh, I think is probably the, one of their key motivators, um, and I think ultimately that they see the benefit of that. But they 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 couldn't have the benefit of that without it being a regulated currency, is my guess. No one's ever really said that to me, but I'm guessing that that that, that would be a motivation for the, for the central banks. Yeah, and and do you see the central banks? Uh, certainly, China seems to be doing their own thing, but as far as um, you know, America, Western Europe. Australia, uh, do you see a pattern emerging of how they're thinking about deploying these systems? Uh, no, it's very fragmented at the moment. Um, there's a number of there's a number of um, committees slash councils that are starting to work on this, but it's 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 early days, Mike. Um, and the other thing that the other thing that's driving this is is open banking, um, and you know, open banking becoming more accessible, shifting of data becoming easier to do amongst you know competitors for want of a better term. So I think open banking, digital, and those elements of policy framework coming together are still evolving, but I haven't seen anyone sort of pick it up yet and say this is going to be a global standard of the way that we're going to operate. It's very much being done market by market, geography by geography. Mm. Are there other interesting trends you feel that are uh, relatively new or underappreciated that you have observed uh, in the payments landscape? Um, I think there's a few things, uh, but probably two things that I would say, um, that we're seeing, we're, we're hearing more and more from a market perspective. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that they're necessarily, um, trends, but they're certainly things that are becoming more front of mind, uh, for conversations that we're having both in the financial services space, but also direct with, uh, retailers and merchants and, and, and businesses of all shapes and sizes. The first thing is that um, the pandemic has certainly put uh, more of an emphasis on organisations' uh, focus and capability around redundancy and reliability in electronic payments. Uh, we see a lot more scrutiny um, around the way in which we take our products and services to market to be able to support um, you know, multiple u- users in the payment ecosystem. 
So if one person fails, so I'll give you an example, right? In our connectivity business, we run our network across multiple carriers. So if today, you know, let's hope it never happens, but if today, if AT&T was to have a service failure in, uh, in the US, we would automatically roll, route those transactions over to Verizon. So within our operating model, there's no points of failure around the a connectivity provider. So if one telco had a problem, we automatically fail over. So the system continues to operate. And what we're seeing more and more in the conversations with our clients coming out of the pandemic is that electronic payments now is all that my consumers really want to pay me with. So I need to make sure that when someone turns up to make a payment, if they fill their car up with gas, that my payment terminal is going to work. So multiple layers of redundancy and reliability is one of the key focus points that we're seeing more and more. The second thing for us that, and, and, and again, it's been a trend for a while, but it, it, it has certainly continued to accelerate is the, the, the requirements around security. Payment card industry data security standards is a really big item for us in everything that we do. More and more organizations are fascinated with the protection and present, uh, pre- prevention of, uh, well, the protection of their brand, but so, so more and more the prevention of their customer. Um, and the data of their customer. That's being, that's being overlaid with a lot of regulatory reform that's happening at a, at a, at a government level across the globe. But certainly we're seeing more and more focus on security compliance, um, and, uh, and, and driving together more focus on that PCI scope and how we manage that. Third thing for us is data aggregation. People are wanting to be able to, to do more with their, with their data. And in particular, they're wanting to be able to match um, in-store data with payments data and start to think about how we can use that. So, for example, you know, people want to be able to correlate when it's a nice day, do I need to get people to come in and buy ice creams or do I need to get, when it's raining, do I want them to come in to get umbrellas and what's the marketing programs that I'm sending out to my consumers on the back of that. So the aggregation of data is becoming more and more important and combining that with payments information, payments behaviour with, with SKU data in-store and then get, getting that out to the hands of the, uh, the consumers is, is a really important thing, which is driving loyalty for them. So it's not, they're not massive trends in terms of moving to biometrics, moving to crypto, you know, sort of that's there, that's on the horizon. And we're, we're sort of, that, that's, that's an evolution. Uh, I think that we will continue to work towards, not necessarily going to be a revolution. A lot of the stuff that we're dealing and seeing with today is really around those three elements that I just talked about to enable them to take a payment from a consumer using any form at any type of device. Interesting. And what do you think that people uh, that are not in payments, like if there's a, a, a thing, uh, either an individual statistic or the way something works, what do you think you understand having been in it for a long time that other people wouldn't appreciate or have any clue as to what's going on? What do you see that other people don't see? I think I think the one thing that I would say about payments uh, that I see is that the ecosystem of payments and particularly retail payments um, for consumers is exceptionally complicated. You know, the way that we've set it up over many, many years has been very successful you know, and it's served a lot of people really well um, for many, many years. But the, the, the machinations of what sit underneath uh, payments is extremely complicated, whether it's you know, things from interchange agreements to 
scheme compliance to four-party card schemes to everything else that's been everything that's sort of evolved in the way in which we 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 don't really understand when we as consumers walk up and tap a card at an, at a terminal or if we go online and buy something what happens behind the scenes from the time you put that information in to the time it gets to an authorization cleared and settlement and settled there's 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 literally um a, a whole layer of complexity that sits behind it so what what i see my my insight to that would be um as businesses from all shapes and sizes start to think about um, what they need to do around payments and where they get involved, partnerships are really important. There's, there's no one player that sort of sits within the ecosystem that, that manages that from start to finish. Um, there, there are people that participate in certain niches start to finish, but more and more what, what we're seeing and the way we're thinking about our business is partnerships critical, whether it's partnerships with our customers, partnerships with other suppliers, or partnerships with you know card schemes and 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 end settlement bodies the ecosystem of partnership is really critical so the only thing that i would say is it can be done on your own uh but uh but partnerships make it a hell of a lot easier because using that expertise and that subject matter expertise and specialization that exists from many people that build it up is a good value creator for people that are coming into this space for the first time or looking to change the way in which they operate and those partnerships could probably help with that. Mm. And if you were speaking to someone who is interested in payments, finds just the concept of uh, currency and payments and uh, the whole thing interesting, where where do you point them? Is there somebody in particular on Twitter or some book, or is there an area within payments you think is most interesting to dive into for young people who are curious about the industry? Yeah, so um, I, I sort of have this saying, Mike, that payments are sexy again. You know, I've been around in it for about 20-odd years and you know, I go back to sort of the the early 2000s and late 90s and, uh, you know, no one really thought about payments. Uh, it wasn't a sexy industry. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of through the uh, the mid-2000s, a lot of private equity money came into payments. Um, the, the, the annuity types of revenue streams that come with payments, you're not sort of chasing the one-time revenue. You, you build a payment system and they continue to grow and, the tailwinds in payments are, uh, are really positive and, and, you know, sort of the evolution of that, the change in consumer experiences, um, and the demand from consumers to be able to do more from a payments perspective has made the industry really attractive again. So, so as an industry, payments are sexy again. And for somebody that's look, that's looking, uh, to come into it for the first time, there's plenty of places to start, uh, and stop. But the one, the one area that I would call out, if you, if you're looking to come into, into retail payments and, and card-based payments, which is going to evolve to sort of the, the next layer, is I'd start with uh, with the big players. Look at the look at the card schemes to learn. Look at how how they've grown up. Look at their history. Look at their, how they're evolving now. They're moving into digital. They're moving into open banking. There's a really good journey that you can sort of take from the history of organisations that have started many many years ago, issuing the first piece of plastic to the organisations now that are shaping some of the future, I think they're good places for people to start to look and think about what's happening in the retail space. Um, and then from there, pick your niches. You know, payments is very broad. You know, the, the term payments means many things to different people. Now, we've touched on crypto. We've talked a little bit about checks when I started my career. And then there's retail payments and there's everything in, in, in between. We haven't spoken about ACH, 
you know, we haven't spoken about B2B. There's prepaid payments, there's postpaid payments. Pick your niche. You know, it's a very, it's a very broad space. And, uh, and, but I'd start with the schemes and, and look at what the card schemes have done because they've been at the center of, of, uh, of a lot of what we've achieved in retail payments, uh, for many, many years. It's awesome. I like it. And are you active online? Are you writing, tweeting, anything you want to throw out personally? We'll have the links to the company in the show notes. Yeah, Mike, uh, always available uh, on LinkedIn. So people can connect with me through LinkedIn. And uh, and uh, my email address is jtait at tnsi.com. That's jtait at tnsi.com. Love to connect with anyone. And, uh, and they're the best channels to get hold of me. Sweet. Well, John, thanks for hopping on today. I enjoyed to hear your story and your perspectives uh, in payments. Great, Mike. Really appreciate it. And thanks for having TNS on. We appreciate it. Cheers. Take care. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.